as I think many of you know, our, our theme for this, this weekend has been the death of death. And of course, we, we had those um, great uh, billboards that our team made up, but just, you know, sort of broadcasting that message. And just that, that whole idea of the death of death comes from something that the Apostle Paul wrote to Timothy. In 2 Timothy 1.10, he said this. He said, Jesus Christ has abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. So, so that's what Paul is really uh, declaring there. It, it's the destruction of death or the death of death. And of course, that all happened through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. This is not at all an overstatement. The, the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead is the greatest event in human history. I mean, if, you know, if you just stop and think about it, um, you know, death is the, the perennial enemy. Death is the very thing that, uh, that all of us just, you know, ultimately we wish it did not exist. And so to, to really get hold of this, this fact that Christ really did rise from the dead, this is indeed the greatest news that we uh, could possibly hear. Because every person, regardless of uh, where they live or what their stature might be, every, everyone lives with this, this nagging fear and dread of death. Now, you probably don't think about these things too much, but you know, if you, if you actually look up the statistics on uh, the numbers of death that occur, say, you know, every second or every hour or every day, it, it's pretty staggering when you, when you look at it from that perspective. So just real quickly, um, every second, three people die. That's 180 people every minute. That is nearly 11,000 people every hour. And as you keep going, 260,000 people a day. And as you take that out to a year, 95 million people die every year. So, you know, when you, when you start to look at it statistically... It's pretty staggering as we consider that. And as we know, death comes to young and old, rich and poor, good and bad, educated and ignorant, king and commoner. Um, no one's exempt. Uh, the dynamic young businessman, the glamorous actress, the great athlete, the brilliant scientist, the television personality, the powerful politician. No one can in the end, resist the moment when death will lay its hand upon them and bring all their fame and achievements to nothing. And death is no respecter of time or place. It has neither season nor perish. It can strike at any moment of the day on land, on the sea, or in the air. It comes to the, the hospital bed, to the busy road, the comfortable armchair, the sports field, and the office. 
there is not a single place on the face of the planet where we are safe, where death is uh, not able to strike. It was a Greek philosopher, Epicurus, who said this. He said, it is possible to provide security against other ills, but as far as death is concerned, we men live in a city without walls. Maybe you remember as the, as the year was winding down last year, and last year just seemed like there were an extraordinary amount of celebrities that uh, died last year. And maybe you remember hearing at the end of the year, there were, there were even people in, in that community, people with, uh, you know, sort of louder voices in the culture, and they were, they were longing for the end of 2016 because, in their mind somehow, there was some sort of a curse on 2016 because all of these uh, celebrities, all of these people had died during that year, and they were, they were just longing for the end of the year. And as we look back over, over that year, indeed, there were many that passed from this life into the next. Uh, I, I remember it was, um, gosh, it was just very early into the new year, and, and I remember exactly the, the moment because I was standing in my kitchen. I was talking to my daughter who was out visiting from New York and, and I had my phone in my pocket and suddenly it, you know, there was a little notice that I received a text or something. I didn't know what it was, but I pulled out my phone and it was uh, a little news bulletin uh, that David Bowie had died. And uh, you know, that really just shocked me all of a sudden. Um, I was a big fan of David Bowie when I was young, so that was part of it. But then, you know, it just, it just seemed so surreal. But then as the year went on, those kinds of uh, notices kept coming up um, all, all across the, uh, the web. Of course, then a little bit later, Glenn Fry of the Eagles died. George Kennedy, a well-known actor. Nancy Reagan uh, the former first lady, George Martin, the producer of The Beatles, Frank Sinatra Jr., Patty Duke, Merle Haggard, Prince, Muhammad Ali, that was another shock, uh, Gene Wilder, Arnold Palmer, Janet Reno, Leonard Cohen, Robert Vaughn, Florence Henderson, Fidel Castro, Alan Thicke, Zsa Gabor, George Michael, Carrie Fisher, Debbie Reynolds, you remember that right there at the, at the end. So this was, this was 2016. And you think of all of these people that uh, we've, we've grown up maybe, you know, listening to their music or watching their films or, you know, in some way having uh, knowledge of them. But it was in 2016 that they left this world. And so these things are just a reminder to us all the time of, of the reality that death is inescapable. But here's the question. What is death? And, and why do we die? Have you ever thought about that? To just, you know, what, what, what is this thing, death? And the one thing that I think we all would have to agree on is that it's not anything that we ever adjust to. It's not anything that we ever get used to. And... To me, that's, that's kind of a hint in regard to death. Some people say, well, it's just a natural thing. It's just part of the natural process. It's, you know, it's just what happens. But 
if it were that, if it were simply that, then it seems to me like we would get used to it at some point. But there's no generation of, of people that have ever really adjusted to just the, the whole reality of death. Why is that? This is the reason why. This is what the Bible says. The Bible says that death was never part of God's original plan. In other words, death was not intended. Death came in. The Bible speaks of death as sort of an intruder into God's good creation. Death came as a consequence of sin. And so the Bible tells us in Romans chapter 5 that it was by one man that sin entered into the world and death through sin. So that's how death came about. Death came about through sin. Now, the great task of Christ, and remember, Christ means the, the anointed one. And from the very dawn of history, God gave a promise that he would send someone to ultimately destroy death to undo everything that sin has done. So the great task of Christ was the destruction of death. And, and the prophets declared that this would be the case. The prophet Isaiah spoke these words. He said, the Lord will destroy on this mountain, and the mountain there is a reference to the kingdom of Christ. The Lord will destroy on this mountain the covering cast over all people and the veil that is spread over all nations, he will swallow up death forever. And then the prophet Hosea, God speaking through Hosea said this, I will ransom them from the power of the grave. I will redeem them from death. O death, I will be your plagues. O grave, I will be your destruction. And so Paul in the text that I referred to initially, declared Jesus Christ has abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. So let's just walk through those three things. Number one, Jesus abolished death. Think of that word abolish. It's a strong word. If you take out your uh, thesaurus and you look at the synonyms for abolish, you find eradicate, nullify, annihilate, obliterate. I like those, annihilate, obliterate. Jesus Christ has obliterated death. He's annihilated it. That's what he did when he rose from the dead. Remember, some of you remember uh, the statement of Jesus when he said, on, on this particular occasion, uh, Jesus asked his disciples, who do you say that I am? And some of them said, oh, you're, you know, some people think you're Elijah. Some people think you're one of the other prophets. Uh, but Peter speaks up and he says, he says, you're the Christ. You're the son of the living God. And Jesus responds back to Peter and he says, Peter, flesh and blood did not reveal this to you, but my father in heaven. He has shown you this, and he said, and upon this rock, I will build my church, and the gates 
of hell shall not prevail against it. Now that word there translated hell is the Greek word Hades. And it's, it's, a, it's a word that refers really to the grave. And so what Jesus says to Peter, he says, I'm going to build my church and the gates of the grave will not prevail against it. You see, right there, Jesus was actually promising the victory over death because the gates of the grave have prevailed over all people at all times. But he says, I'm going to build my church and the gates of the grave will not prevail against it. Now, if we think about this, we might be a little bit perplexed because Scripture is telling us that Jesus abolished death. He says the gates of the grave aren't going to prevail against uh, his church. But if, if that's the case, then why do we still die? That's a good question. Why do we still die? Specifically, why do those who believe in Jesus still die? But here's the truth. According to Jesus, believers in Jesus don't die. We have the wrong terminology. Jesus said, whoever lives and believes in me will never die. But here's the thing we need to know. Our definition of death and God's definition of death are different. So our definition of death is that the, the spirit is separated from the body. When, when somebody dies, that's what happens, right? Their, their spirit departs their body. That's what we think of. And of course, that is death. That's physical death. But God has a different definition of death. His definition of death is the separation of the spirit from him. And so all the way back at the beginning with the first man and woman, God gave a particular commandment and warned them not to eat of the fruit of the tree in the garden. And God said this, for in the day that you eat of it, you shall die. Now, the interesting thing is when you look back at what happened there, they ate the fruit, but they didn't die like we think of dying. They didn't die for a long, long time, actually. But the fact of the matter, they was that they did die. They died that instant because that instant, their spirits were separated from fellowship with God. And that spiritual death is what originally occurred. And that led ultimately to physical death. But now in the new order through Christ, we begin with spiritual life. That's what happens when a person trusts Christ. We, we receive spiritual life. And the spiritual life we receive will lead ultimately to physical life. So when a, when a person who trusts in Christ dies today, and, and let me just remind you, that the New Testament doesn't use the word die to speak of believers. You know what it uses? It uses the word sleep. It refers to believers as those who have fallen asleep. And that is a reference to their bodies, to the body of a person fallen asleep. The spirit upon death, what we commonly call death, goes to be in the presence of the Lord, but the body remains behind. But the body is referred to as sleeping because there's coming a day when the body will be awakened. The body will arise and 
Paul put it this way to the Corinthians. He said, when this corruption, these bodies that are subject to decay, that's what corruption means here. When this corruption is put on incorruption and this mortal has put on immortality, then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. And so Christ rose from the dead and he's referred to as being the first fruits of those who rise from the dead. Now, if just hearing that word first fruits, you can kind of figure out a little bit about what it means, but it, but it's a little more nuanced than it might sound in the Jewish, um, worship year. They actually had a feast day that was the day of first fruits. And on that day, what the priest would do is they would take the first products of the harvest and they would, they would wave them before the Lord and they were symbolic of the rest of the harvest that was to come. They were sort of like the guarantee of the, the rest of the harvest that was to come. Do you know that the day in the Hebrew calendar that they did that was the day that Jesus rose from the dead. Jesus rose from the dead on the feast of the first fruits. And so Paul refers to Jesus as the first fruits. He is the first one to rise from the dead, but then others will follow. And so Paul tells us in another place that there, there are those who sleep in Christ, their bodies, as I already mentioned, are in the dust of the earth. There's a day when they are going to rise up again. And the, the spirit that has already gone on to be with the Lord is going to be reconciled with that body. And that body is going to be what the Bible calls glorified. It's going to be made into, at that point, a heavenly body. And then the scripture also tells us that there are going to be people who uh, are, uh, those who are alive at the coming of Christ are going to have an, like an instantaneous transformation without actually ever experiencing physical death. We refer to that as the rapture. But that's included in everything, or, or all of this is included in what Paul was, was talking about when he spoke of Christ abolishing death. So Jesus is the first fruits. He's the first, he's the one who uh, rises from the dead. He's the one who conquers death. And now for all of those that have trusted in him, they will have that same experience ultimately. And then the second thing Paul says is that Jesus brought life to light. Well, that's an interesting idea. He abolished death and he brought life to light. Now, again, we think of life, and life is a word that we use for a lot of different things. Uh, of course, we're usually talking about biological life. We're talking about our, our own existence. But then, you know, we, we just use it to talk about, um, you know, if we say something like, oh, man, this is the life. We're, we're right there. We're expressing that, you know, this is good. This is, this is the, the good life, things like that. But the, the biblical picture is that as long as we are living and breathing and physically animated, but yet at the same time separated from God, we don't really have life in the truest sense. You see, there's, 
a whole nother dimension of life. And that's what Jesus has brought to light. And he declared this himself. He said, I have come that they, speaking of people, uh, may have life and that more abundantly. You know, it would be better to describe what we have just naturally as more of like an existence in comparison to what Jesus has come to bring to us. That, that's, the, that's the sharp distinction. Outside of Christ, we're just existing. You know, when you, when you think of somebody who's just existing, you know, you're, I mean, you're talking about a pretty low quality of life there, right? But in reality, if you compare our natural lives with the life that Christ brings to us or offers us, that's really the comparison. It's, it's like we're just existing. Even in our best moments, we're just existing. Jesus came to bring us a whole new dimension of life. He refers to it as abundant life. See, the Bible tells us that we were dead in our trespasses and sins, but he has made us alive. He's given us eternal life. And here's what we need to know about eternal life. Eternal life is not just life that goes on endlessly. It is that, but it's more than that. It is a quality of life that cannot be experienced uh, naturally because it is uh, the life of God that comes into the soul of a person. It's really the life of heaven on earth. So when Paul says that Jesus brought life to light, that's what he's talking about. He brings us into a whole new dimension of life. And then thirdly, he said that Jesus brought immortality to light. How many myths, legends, and stories concerning immortality have built up over the centuries? I mean, if you think of so many of the great um, stories that have been told, the myths, the legends, the... Uh, you know, from way, way back to even even pr- present times, there's always this sort of, um, you know, hopeful thing toward a, an immortality. That's what has been in the hearts of men. How many have spent a lifetime in search of the proverbial fountain of youth? only to be disappointed in the end. You know, we're, we're living in an interesting time, aren't we? Uh, many, many interesting things about the time that we're living in. But one of the things, um, it, it, I'll kind of sum it up this way, and, and you'll get it really quickly. Uh, 50 is the new 30. <laughs> what, is, what is that? <laughs> that is a denial of aging. <laughs> now, I'm 60. And I think, okay, 50's the new 30, 60's the new 40. All right, I like it. But you know, the mirror betrays. Every time I look in it, I think, well, you know, (laughs) I don't know about that 60 being the new 40 thing. But this kind of thinking is not new. It just seems to be that it's a very popular way to think these days. But how many have spent a fortune in an effort to slow or somehow prevent the aging and ultimately the dying process. But look, it's all to no avail. But you know, today, I mean, they're talking about immortality. 
Scientifically, they're, they're thinking that somehow we are, oh, you know, given, a, given a, enough time, we're going we're to be able to beat death. No, it'll never happen. But here's the good news. Death has already been beaten. We will never beat it, but Christ did. And if we're trusting in Christ, then we will beat it. And that's the gospel. The good news is that immortality is a reality, and it's through Jesus Christ. So search no further. The fountain of youth is Jesus Christ. It's his life that he gives us. Listen to what he said. He said, I am the first and the last. I am he who lives and was dead. Think about that for a second. I am he who lives and was dead. (coughs) Behold, I am alive forevermore. Amen. And I have the keys of the grave (coughs) and of death. The great passage from the book of Revelation. A couple days ago, I was... (coughs) there alongside of a lady on her deathbed. And I read this passage to her. Now I saw a new heaven and a new earth for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. And I heard a loud voice from heaven saying, (coughs) behold, the tabernacle of God is with men and he will dwell with them and God will wipe away every tear from their eyes There shall be no more death, nor sorrow, nor crying. There shall be no more pain, for the former things have passed away. And then the last verse there, it says, Write these things, for they are faithful and true. This is the truth. These things are faithful and true. You know, at our earlier service today, some of you were there. You remember talking about what are the options if Jesus didn't rise from the dead? You know, we got uh, kind of a resurgence of atheism in the culture, and people are, you know, adamant about atheism. And you know what I say to the atheist? It's like, well, okay, well, tell me your, you know, prospects for the future. Tell me, you know, how the world's all going to turn out under your philosophy of atheism. You know, it's really bleak. It's really dark. As a matter of fact, they say, well, you know, the cold hard facts are just this. Uh, We're all just going to die eventually, and go out of existence. That's the hope. That's like a fairy tale. But, you know, there, there's, no, there's no hope in atheism. There, there's no projection of anything good for the future. But with Christ, there is the promise that there's a new heaven, that there's a new earth, that there is a a place where God and men dwell together and all tears are wiped away and there's no more death nor sorrow nor crying. There's no more pain. All of those things have passed away. How do we know that's true? Well, because Jesus rose from the dead. That's how we know it's true. And everything he said, because he rose from the dead, everything he said is, is then um, verified. As a matter of fact, Jesus said that. You know, some people, not just the average unbelieving person out on the street or the atheist uh, doesn't believe in the resurrection. You know, some people in the church don't even believe in the resurrection. There are theologians today that say, well, you know, there probably wasn't really a resurrection, but that's okay. No, it's not okay. 
If there's no resurrection, we are absolutely wasting our time. This is a joke. That's, that's what the Bible itself says. Paul says, if in this life you have hope in Christ only, you are of all people most to be pitied. He's right. Because if Christ didn't rise from the dead, we're never going to rise from the dead. If Christ didn't rise from the dead, we're still in our sins. If Christ didn't rise from the dead, there is no hope. But he did rise from the dead. And history verifies that. And there are tons and tons of witnesses that confirm that, but we don't have time for that. But as we move on into our close, we are living more and more in a culture of death. Have you sensed that? Have you noticed that? It just seems like death is, is closer to us than it maybe was before. We're, we're living more and more in a culture of death. The public safety that we took for granted for so long is no longer a reality. Murder has come to the party at the workplace, to the church prayer meeting, to the movie theater, the nightclub, the concert hall, the school campus, the outdoor markets, the pedestrian areas of our great city, our great cities. It's come to our worship services as we saw last week when 40 people died in church bombings in Egypt. We're living in a culture of death. With murder in our formerly safe places becoming the new normal. This is the way this stuff is being referred to today. As we've seen all these, these terrorist acts. And we have people saying, well, just, you know, this is just the new normal. Let's just get used to it. No, we won't get used to it. We'll never get used to it. Because death is not something you get used to. But since that is the new reality, only those who have put their trust in Christ can have peace and the assurance that death will not have the last word. You see, that's really the issue here. Will death have the last word? No. Christ has the last word. And remember what he said, I am he who was dead. I am alive forever. I have the keys. And when Jesus said, I have the keys, he's, what he's really expressing there is he's the one who has authority over death and the grave. Christ will have the last word. Christ has defeated death. He has conquered death. He has swallowed it up in victory. And as Paul ends that great uh, chapter on the resurrection, 1 Corinthians 15, he ends it with these words, O death, where is your sting? O grave, where is your victory? The sting of death is sin, but thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Martin Luther put it this way. He said, it was a strange and dreadful strife when life and death contended the victory remained with life. The reign of death was ended. That's what happened on that Sunday, 
2,000 years ago, the reign of death was ended and it will all ultimately come to a final end upon the return of the one who conquered death. But here's what we need to know in closing. Death is not the end. It is not the end for those who trust Christ. C.S. Lewis put it beautifully. He said, death opens the door out of a little dark room into a great real place where the true sun shines and we shall meet again. That is the promise that we have, that death doesn't have the final word, that this isn't where it ends. When our loved ones go, when they pass on, when we leave this world, that's not the end of it. And for those who have trusted in Christ, we step out of that little dark room into this glorious place of light, and we meet our loved ones there. You see... Jesus attended the funeral of a friend. Actually, he came four days late for the funeral. And when he arrived there, his friend Lazarus had died. Jesus actually knew this. But when he arrives in the little village of Bethany, and he's told that Lazarus has died, and he sees his uh, Martha and Mary, the sisters of Lazarus, and they're, they're heartbroken, and they're upset, and, and actually Martha even says to Jesus, Lord, if you would have been here, my brother wouldn't have died. You know, what took you so long? And as Jesus is there in that whole scene with them, Lazarus is in the tomb. He's been there four days. And the shortest verse in the Bible is right there. John 11, I think it's 35, it's two words, Jesus wept. Jesus wept. And people even then ask, well, why is he weeping? Couldn't this man who did so many miracles, couldn't he have prevented this man from dying? That's what they were saying right then, the people that were there. But Jesus stood there weeping. Why was he weeping? Was he weeping because of the sadness of Lazarus's death, that his good friend died before he could get back to see him and help him? No, couldn't have been that because in just a minute, Jesus was gonna raise him from the dead. He's gonna call him out of the tomb. So it couldn't have been that that caused Jesus to weep. You know what caused him to weep? The word there, it really refers to an indignation. Jesus was angry. He wasn't angry at Martha or Mary. He wasn't angry at the people around. Certainly wasn't angry at Lazarus. You know what he was angry at? He was angry at sin. He was angry at Satan. He was angry at all that his creation had become through sin and the death that had marred it and the heartache and the pain that had, had resulted from all of that. That's what he was angry at. And you know what that led him to? That led him to do something about it. And so he said to them, roll away the stone. And they're like, oh, Lord, no, you can't roll away the stone. You know, he's been there four days. It's not going to be pleasant. We can't do that. Jesus said, roll away the stone. Didn't I say if you believe that you would see the glory of God? And they rolled back that stone. And Jesus cried with a loud voice after he prayed. He cried with a loud voice. He said, Lazarus, come forth. And a man who had been dead for four days came hobbling out of the grave. 
And they, he, Jesus said, unwrap him. He had, you know, these great, kind of like a mummy. He said, unwrap him and give him something to eat. And that's exactly what they did. And then, you know, a chapter later, here's an amazing thing. You find that Jesus is having dinner in the house of Simon. And it talks about the people sitting at the table with him. And this is what it says. And there was Lazarus who was dead. <laughs> How many people have you had over for dinner who were dead? <laughs> but now they're having dinner with you. That doesn't happen, but it did happen. You see, Jesus, remember, he had said, I am the resurrection and the life. I am the resurrection and the life. And he proved it on several occasions because Lazarus wasn't the only person he raised from the dead. He raised others from the dead. But the ultimate proof that he is the resurrection and the life would be his own resurrection. And he said it over and over and over again to those who were his enemies in those days. He said, destroy this temple and in three days I'll raise it again. And that's exactly what he did. And so today we have a risen savior. We have a living savior. We have the possibility of, of a relationship with the one who made us the one who redeemed us, and the one who conquered our greatest enemy, death. And that victory becomes our victory through him. Thanks be to God who gives us the victory through Jesus Christ. The victory over death, not just death down the road, but the victory over death today. Living in the land of death, the victory over that today is found through Christ. And if you, like the apostles did, Paul, if you put your faith and trust in him, you will know what it means to have life in immortality. It'll come to light. It'll be your experience. It'll start today with a new life, and it'll go on forever and ever. That's the great message and promise of today, Easter. Lord, we thank you that you... We're not content to allow death to reign, but that you girded yourself and you came and you conquered death and you did it by dying. You did it by dying and rising again. And Lord, we thank you that you're alive today. We thank you that you're real. Lord, we thank you that you come and you give us life. You transform us. You give us purpose and hope. And Lord, you, you give us immortality as your free gift. And Lord, we just want to give you thanks for that today. We thank you for your great victory over the grave. And we thank you for all the millions that have put their trust in you through the ages, right down to this very day. And Lord, our hearts continue to pray for those who have yet to believe in you. Oh Lord, help them to know that these words are faithful and true. Help them, Lord, to put their trust in you. That they might know that you conquered the grave. That you conquered death. That you are the prince of life and that they might experience for themselves that life, and know that one day 
when it's time to move out of the existing tent that we move into a glorious dwelling place and we meet one another there. May each one here today have that hope. I pray in Jesus' name, amen.